Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, and it's also found in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of Yahweh is upon me, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The Holy One has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here ends our reading. A few years ago, I returned to my native Colorado for a visit trying to marry the restfulness of vacation and time with my family. My husband David and I stayed at a B&B that a couple created on their property, a beautiful ranch with sweeping views of Sleeping Ute Mountain. They were artists and had sprinkled their land with bespoke straw bale homes in various stages of construction a burgeoning greenhouse, and quite the impressive barn turned musical hotspot. Friendlier than I might have been living with a flow of strangers, the couple invited us over for dinner. Curious about this place, their home they were creating, a conversation began about their perspective on community. They moved from Santa Fe, New Mexico some years ago after buying this rather large and undeveloped plot of land. They had lived in Santa Fe before it had become a renowned place of artists, before it was a place to be. When they moved to Colorado, they developed their land, building their home a little at a time. And though their new town had little to offer, they decided they would create the community they wanted, a place where people feel safe to exchange ideas and cultivate relationships, a place where musicians can come and share their songs and where friends can gather, bringing their picnic meals and listen, a place where people who are forging new paths are supported and encouraged, a place that fosters a collaborative collectively beneficial entrepreneurial spirit. A place of good atmosphere and art and truth-telling. 
even if it's not the truth shared by all others. From the beginning, they saw themselves as responsible co-participants in creating the community they dreamed of. I walked away stunned. It was so clear, so simple, and new to me. Of course, who else creates community but the individual people who live there? Unlike the way I think of towns that sound nice to visit or to move to, community is not only something fixed and separate, something to encounter, be a consumer of, and leave. What kind of community would I participate in creating? When thinking of the people of Judah, Nehemiah's community, and the people of Nazareth, those who raised Jesus, how are they to participate in creating the community they long for? What is the work, the liturgy of the people? Some background on what we read from Nehemiah this morning. The Israelites had been in Babylonian exile for 50 years. And with the successful victory of the Persian king Cyrus over the Babylonians, a decree was issued that the Israelites were, were free to return to their ancestral homeland and rebuild their city and their temple to Yahweh. It's as if they have been met by a jubilee year. Or as Jesus quotes Isaiah, a year of God's favor. Tradition was that every 50 years, farmers who had lost their land and who had been forced into indentured servitude were freed of their debts and could regain their land. With the return from Babylon, the entire nation, they were all recipients in this favor. The Israelites' return came in waves. People were settled in new hometowns, and it wasn't an easy decision to go. While many Israelites had been in exile, there were some who had stayed in Judah and adapted to life there while under occupation. They married people of other cultures, learned new languages, took up new practices, even working on the Sabbath. When Nehemiah and Ezra arrive on the scene, they are part of a later wave of returnees with certain ideas about how Judah should be restored. Nehemiah returns with the blessing of a Persian king who came after Cyrus and who trusted Nehemiah, granted his request for safe passage and materials to rebuild the walls and gates of Judah which had remained in disrepair. When Nehemiah announces his plan to re rebuild the city walls and gates, the response is less than supportive. It is seen as an impossible feat to restore what has been turned to rubble. But one by one in this story, the Israelite community shows up 
As if reading from a census in the book of Numbers, Nehemiah lists name after name, family after family, goldsmiths, perfumers, artisans, each who take on a section of the wall, a section across from their homes, who replace the, the bolts and the bars of one gate after another. And when attempts to sabotage their efforts occur, they continue to work through the night. And though there are several attempts to assassinate Nehemiah, he survives. And when attacks are attempted against the builders, Nehemiah organizes protection. As one person works on the wall, another stands behind them as their rear guard. In the face of the impossible, in the face of fear, the community participates in making itself whole again. Now, rebuilding the wall is not only a physically taxing and dangerous feat, but it is also economically costly. The people begin coming to Nehemiah, telling him they cannot afford grain or food to eat. They are unable to feed their families. So Nehemiah has all those who have lent the poor money forget their debts. And though these same poor owe dues to Nehemiah as well, he doesn't collect them. He also has many a mouth to feed, including himself. But he does not use their money to do so. In true jubilee fashion, the oppressed are again set free of their yokes, freed of their debts, and their return home. Within the narrative story, the building of the wall is a beautiful thing, a symbol of unity, of community restored, of what is possible in the face of fear of hope, restored, well-being, and yes, security. But then comes our text from this morning. Continuing to discern how they are to be in community as God's people, the people are gathered in the square before the water gate, a place of deliberation, a place of truth-telling, even if it's not a truth shared by all. As they listen to the law of Moses with interpretation, some say translation, as remember, not everyone speaks the same language anymore. And they begin to weep. As it is revealed later, this is likely at least in part due to the prohibition against intermarriage with those of different nations. Those who have intermarried in the years of exile are required to separate from their spouses deemed aliens, and along with them, to send away any children they may have had together. Have they forgotten what happened with King Solomon, who had all those wives from other nations, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites? These women introduced Solomon to different gods, to practices that violated the covenant with Yahweh, who alone was to be worshipped. Yahweh guaranteed him 
this would result in a loss of his nation. Just having returned to Judah, their wall rebuilt, did they want to risk this again? In the face of fear, the building of the wall had been a sign of what was possible as community joining hands. And now, out of fear, they were being asked to create a wall within themselves, to separate the stranger who had become a family, intermingled with their DNA, in essence, to split from themselves. Gratefully, other voices joined the conversation with Nehemiah and Ezra and Isaiah, expanding the dialogue, giving the people the story of Queen Esther, who saved her Jewish people in marriage to a Persian king, giving the people the story of Ruth, the Moabite, who would become the grandmother of Jesse and the great-grandmother of David. Jewish scholars who write of this time of rebuilding say the people no longer believed in a messianic king who would come to save the people and rebuild Jerusalem. But in a messianic era, when the year of Jubilee, a kind of realization of the kingdom of God here, would come. Something that would require the participation of the community. In Luke's gospel, Jesus' mission is to be about what is promised with the Jubilee year. A liberation from structures of oppression, a restoration of well-being. As the Lucan scholar Francois Bovin observes, the possession of the Spirit is not limited to Jesus. It is found throughout the community. It's within Zechariah and John and Elizabeth and Mary and Simeon. The people are also called to be co-participants in creating the community they've longed for, the dream of Jubilee. When our dream of community comes up short, when we are not fostering a collectively beneficial spirit, and those who would forge new paths are not supported, when we find our pla ourselves in places of rigidity, yielding sorrow and suffering. Isaiah offers these words to help us open again. In Isaiah's community, the people were fasting, believing this is what God desired of them. And God responds by saying, Do you really think I want you to starve your bodies? This is the fast I desire, to let the oppressed go free, to break off every yoke. It is to share your bread with the hungry and to take the poor into your home. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to ignore your own kin. Then shall your light burst through like the dawn and your healing spring up quickly. The presence of God shall be your rear guard. The Holy One will give strength to your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, 
like a spring whose waters do not fail. People from your midst shall re rebuild ancient ruins, and you shall restore foundations laid long ago, and you shall be called repairer of fallen walls, restorer of lanes of habitation. May it be so. Amen.